0: What's up, podcast? Hope everybody's staying safe and staying inside. I'm super excited to share my interview with Mike Vorkanoff, the New York Knicks beat writer for The Athletic. We talk about a lot of fun topics in here, including his interview with the late NBA commissioner, David Stern. I hope you all enjoy this one. What's going on, everybody? Dylan Manfrey on hand. I'm so excited to be joined by Mike Vorkanoff, the beat writer uh, for the New York Knicks of The Athletic. Uh, Mike, how are you holding up through all this?
1: Uh, You know, uh, trying to stay sane,
0: <laughs> really that's the most uh, that's the best thing you can do I know I know um you know what have you been what have you been up to uh, lately since the nBA canceled its season uh you know, just trying to find
1: stuff to write about, trying to find um Nick's stories to write about uh, not Nick's stories, just basically anything interesting and um it's a it's a challenge, but it's a it's a fun one. You get to stretch uh, your wings a little bit as a reporter right now
0: yeah, I mean, how I was going to ask you that too. I was like, how hard really is it to find, you know, new things to write about when, you know, everything is canceled. I mean, I know there's the, the possibility of, um, you know, some practice facilities opening in states that have loosened restrictions, but New mm-hmm. York isn't one of them. So are you uh, paying attention to like the national things going on as well as in addition to, you know, what's happening with the Knicks?
1: Yeah, it's, I mean, really it's, it's trying to, um, Pay attention to everything that could impact them at the moment, right? Like, you know, for a lot of these, um, especially the the COVID-related things, you know, a lot of it stems from the state level down to the local level, from sometimes the national level, right? And with the NBA, obviously, this is all generated from the league-wide level into what the teams can and cannot do. And so, yeah, it's just, you know, it's trying to understand everything that's going on. There's a lot of different cross currents at the moment um, where the NBA really – I think probably more than ever is really just kind of a, a participant, um, rather than someone guiding what's going on.
0: Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes perfect sense. So what was your initial reaction like when all of this happened? You know, when you found out Rudy Goubert had tested positive and you know, then the seasons, you know, being shut down, you know, I can't imagine you had a quiet reaction to that. <laughs>
1: Uh, the Knicks were playing in Atlanta that night. I didn't make the trip to Atlanta. I'd been in D.C. the night before when they were playing at the Wizards. Uh, honestly, you know, I was wondering um, I was wondering what took so long to some degree. I, I thought that uh, fans shouldn't have been in the arena at that point, um, mm-hmm. having kind of paid attention to what was going on around the world and just the way that um, the spread of the virus had been going around. And I, I thought – um, you know, as much credit as the NBA should get for being the first one to, to really pull the trigger and obviously suspend their play that led to this, uh, domino effect right across professional yeah. sports everywhere, uh, worldwide, not just nationwide. So, you know, there's, you know, it's obviously difficult to, to, <laughs> to be the one that says, okay, we're going to stop our season. Right. They were, um, you know, that, that was an act of, uh, I guess, what would I call it? professional bravery. courage, uh, business courage, um, you know, in a sense, um, mm-hmm. But I, I also thought that everything that we knew at that point, and it seems like the NBA was following along too. I, you know, I th- I thought that you know maybe they should have not had arenas full of fans uh, before mm-hmm. then as well. Maybe they should have uh, done more things to kind of try to mitigate um, the spread of the coronavirus within the little communities and hubs that they had control over. And so, you know, as someone who was like at the Wizards game on the Tuesday night in Knicks Wizards, I was washing my hands very often, I was very conscious of what was going on and and, and the concerns that were there. And so I I did, I think probably over the last week and especially like the last few mixed games that I covered, wonder uh, why I was wondering in the back of my head, why are we here? Is this a worthwhile um, reason for all of it? And I don't know if I was the only one, but I I think it was just, it was interesting trying to balance the professional aspects of being there and also understanding the health concerns um, that everyone in the arena knowingly or unknowingly um was uh was you know kind of going through that that day that night
0: yeah i mean were any players raising concerns as well at all too uh
1: no i hadn't i didn't hurt any players i think they were all kind of you know we asked them about it, obviously and they were all kind of um content and confident in the measures that the nba was taking the knicks were taking um, at that point, if you remember, you know, early March, they were telling them not to shake hands or fist bump, to, yeah. you know, giving out um, hand sanitizer. I don't remember all the measures they were taking, but everyone seemed to be um, calmed by, by what was going on at that point. And I think maybe that's why when they, you know, suspended the season the night of March 11th, once we knew that a player tested positive, it seemed like such a shock because um, the NBA had tried to take these uh, kind of like muted measures instead of going all in on it and then they had to eventually just go all in on it because someone had caught it which would which kind of seemed like it was just a matter of time really
0: yeah i i definitely understand that you know especially because it spread like so fast everything it definitely raises concerns about you know everybody's safety in the arena so when you're reporting all of this how how did you go about it like what were some things that were running through your mind about how you could report this because obviously this is a new you know topic to everybody um not i'm sure not many people really knew how to approach it so how did you really go into that what was your mindset
1: um you know i was just trying to get educated on it obviously mm-hmm. i'm not a health expert um you know I'm just a reporter but so it's just trying to read as much as i can um see what you know like what the cdc was saying see what other Health organizations, what other news outlets were saying, and trying to be as educated as I could be um, when asking questions, when writing about it, um, and uh, you know, that's I, I think that's really all you can do at that point is try to be as smart as you can in writing about a topic that's kind of, uh, um, you know, n- normally out of your purview, I guess. Uh, yeah. Although sports does have a way of reaching uh, its tentacles into every part of our society. Sure. Um, you know, trying to figure out how a global pandemic was working was not something I was uh, normally used to. And so I was just trying to honestly just trying to get as smart as I could be and then having that guide what I was writing and asking.
0: Yeah. So talk about how you got involved with the athletic. I know you had you had gone to Rutgers, you were the editor of the Daily Targum their student paper. Um you made some previous stops at, you know, the Star Ledger and you were freelancing for a little bit. So how did you really get involved with the athletic?
1: I do want to say I was not the editor of the Daily Targum. I'm not going to take credit for that. I was the assistant editor. I had no no aspirations, nor was I probably qualified to be the uh, the sports editor of the Targum. Um, I you know I couldn't get anything coming out of college. Um, I you know I've got rejected for like every internship. Um, mm-hmm. I couldn't get a job, and I graduated in 2009, which was a nice time, the last you know recession that we faced, yeah. although you know that may seem like uh, something small compared to what we 're going through now mm-hmm. um, and so jobs were scarce and especially journalism jobs, and so i couldn 't get anything couldn 't get any internships and I uh, you know found ways to write on the side as I worked you know job full time job um, during the day and during the nights when I had free and then Um, I was lucky enough to get an internship with the Star Legend. I think it was the summer of 2011 and they kept me on after the summer and um, you know that started like four and a half years there that I loved and I was uh, very happy to have and I covered everything from college sports to the Jets um, to eventually the last two years there I was covering the Mets and and that was awesome and um, in 2015 I, I kind of Uh, resigned abruptly and I started freelancing and um, I did that for I think it was like almost three years uh, two and a half years something like that um, before the athletic offered me the job of covering the Knicks for them and uh, that was February 2018 when we launched the New York City site and it's been a great job ever since
0: so did they like just reach out to you or you reach out to them how did how did it really work because a lot of people are saying that like and you know correct me if I'm wrong that it's very hard to get into the journalism industry. And obviously, I know it is. But a lot of people, I think, I guess, poo-poo the industry and think that it's a dying art. But other people will say that, you know, there are jobs available. You just have to really go out and find them and network and, you know, do X, Y, and Z. Um,
1: No, it is. I mean, listen, it's a, I think the state of the media industry is obvious, right? There's not a lot of, jobs available there's fewer jobs every day it seems like as we see media furloughs and media layoffs and all yeah, that
0: and especially now
1: yeah even now 2020 uh, is much different than it was in 2018 much different than it was in 2011 i had people in 2009 um you know saying don't get into media go to law school go do that because even at that point it was kind of clear what the trend was um and you know, it's possible to get good jobs. Obviously there are lots of great jobs, you know, Mm. I'm very happy. I love the job I have at the athletic and we have, I don't even know how many people we have right now. Um, but I think as a whole, you know, sports media, there's fewer jobs than before. And, um, we understand like the financial aspects for it. And so I wouldn't be one of those people who says, uh, don't go into it uh, because I think it's a great job if you can get it, but you should be realistic about um, what the circumstances are and what you're getting into. And I, was at the time when I jumped into this industry, maybe not, maybe not as uh, cognizant uh, as I should have been, but that can be a good thing. And I think that's like if you're trying to make a decision of whether to to chase a job in sports media, you should understand, you should always be realistic and um, have your eyes wide open uh, about what you're jumping into. It's a great job. Uh, there are hard jobs to get though, and um unfortunately it does seem like it keeps contracting and you know obviously the athletic luckily uh we seem to be doing pretty well and people like what we're doing and they're responding to it um and so you know i've been thankful for that
0: yeah so you know when you were like applying for jobs what's something that like i guess you did to maybe differentiate yourself and you know so you could really stand out as a reporter
1: you know, honestly, um, the applying for jobs thing didn't, didn't go so well for me, okay. uh, so I can't give you any success stories there. I, you know, the, the Star Ledger uh, reached out to me because after I got denied for every job when I graduated, um, I just kind of kept working. I, I kept covering uh, Rutgers basketball and Seton Hall basketball and Rutgers football for New Jersey Newsroom. Um, which was back then, what are we talking about? Like 11 plus years ago, the star ledger had a number of layoffs and a bunch of people who took buyouts started their own site online. Mm. Um, and I write, you know, asked to cover sports for them. And then I kind of worked that into being their sports editor. And so, um, I use that to keep writing on the side and keep doing that. And I guess people, you know, someone noticed my work and passed it on to the sports editor at the star ledger, Drew Van Esselstyn, who is a great boss. And, um, you know, I'd bothered him about an internship and couldn't get one before. And then in 2011, it opened up. And, and so I got a call one day and, you know, offering me an internship and if I was interested and I was, and so really, I mean, that's the biggest lesson I can, I guess, uh, you know, in part, it's just like, Keep doing the work and try to get as good as you can be um, and, you know, pushing yourself out there. But also if you are good, people will notice, um, I think. And at least that's what happened in my career.
0: Yeah. You know, what, what do you like most about writing? Because, you know, when people get into sports media, there's so many different tracks that you can take. So what about writing really makes you tick and, you know, allows you to enjoy it so much?
1: Uh, I hate writing. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I love writing, but I hate writing. Um, it's extremely difficult. It's never yeah, easy. And every time I sit down, yeah, I sit down and I'm like, Oh, this is the worst. Um, can I not do this today? Can I do this tomorrow? And I'm sure my editors, uh, probably hate me for that because deadlines are always difficult to hit yeah. uh, for that very reason. <laughs> um, no, I, I think the one thing that I found interesting, uh, the longer that I'm in this and I think others, uh, maybe they feel the same way. I don't know, is that I think you get into this job. Um, because you really like sports and you really Mm. love basketball football baseball whatever um but i think the reason you stay in this job and the people who succeed at a high level stay in the job uh, is because you like reporting and you like writing um Mm. and that becomes more of a driving force than anything uh even more than the sports aspect does and so you start working on your craft a lot more um so that's that's been the case for me you know i like writing because it is extremely hard it's hard to um put words together that make sense that put senses together that make sense mm-hmm. um and uh you know uh every time I try you know trying to write something different trying to write the same story in different ways if you have to um you know over a period of months or over the course of the season it's all it's all hard it's all a challenge um it's you know on the grand scale of things it's not as hard as uh you know let's say being a nurse or a doctor is at that point in time at this yeah. point in time or at any point in time. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the personal scale, you know, when you're trying to do this job, it's, you know, writing, <laughs> writing's, a b- it's hard. Um, and I'm not very good at it. And I'm always in awe of the people who
0: are really good at it. Who were your, did you have any like mentors or inspirations, like, you know, growing up or even now that, you know, you really love their reporting, you know, and really wanted to model them.
1: Yeah. I mean, I didn't really become like a self-conscious, um, Journalist uh, until I'd say like until after I graduated college, it was not something that I always aspired. You know, I've heard stories people are like, "Oh yeah, I went to college to be a sports writer and all that." That that wasn't me. Mm. um So I didn't like grow up reading SI and wanting to be an SI. Um, I was kind of a late late bloomer in that regard. But you know, the people that I looked up to once I figured out this was something I wanted to do, and especially once I got to like the Star Ledger, where you know Steve Politi, yeah, um, Mark. Craig, Andy McCullough, Jenny Brentas, uh, Connor or all those people that I worked with, uh, Mike Garifull, like, those are the initial people that I looked at. I'm like, Oh, wow, these these guys and are really, really good. Um, you know, every time I read Steve Pulity now, I'm like, wow, that guy is doing something yeah. that I had never even thought of, or Been couldn't, different. you know, uh, couldn't execute. Um, and I do that now reading The Athletic, you know, with a bunch of people, I, there's too many people that I for me to even name, cause I know I'll forget someone, but yeah, mm-hmm. you know, people like that are, you know, every day I read them. I'm like, Oh wow. These guys are really good at what they do. Um, and they have just this entire set that I, that I wish I could emulate.
0: You ever feel like you're, you know, maybe trying to prove yourself a little bit. Um, you know, maybe when you first started out or was there like a validating moment, you know, throughout your career that's like, you know, I'm here, like I'm at, I'm actually a part of this industry and I'm doing good work.
1: Uh I'm trying to prove myself every day. I don't think I've had enough success to be able to just rest on my laurels. Um mm-hmm. I don't think <laughs> I think there's a lot of people who have gotten to the uh the top of their profession in in journalism and sports journalism uh, especially and I'm not one of them, that's for certain. Mm-hmm. Um but it, you know like every time you get a new job it's great, you know, when I got named the, the Mets beat writer, that was really cool because I I finally had like a professional beat. Yeah. Um, when I got to write to, for the New York Times for the first time, that was, you know, wonderful, you know, writing for the Times was great. Like when I got named the Knicks beat writer at the athletic, um, that was awesome because I'd always wanted to cover an NBA team. And so those are kind of validating and um, something I celebrate in every step. And um, I think it's important to always take stock of your career and just see if what you you like, if what you're still doing. Um, But you know, I'm I'm trying to get better and be happy with what I'm doing every day. I I don't know. Most of the, most of my friends uh, who are reporters are rarely ever happy with what they're doing doing uh in the sense of like content with their production um I, I think we're all kind of miserable in that way we always feel like we suck
0: everybody's their own biggest critic i know that feeling Is yeah
1: that,
0: you kind of identify with that a little bit you know you are your own biggest critic
1: oh yeah i i mean i think i'm horrible um and i you know I I hate reading my stories after the fact and I always find you know if I do um you know this is wrong or that wrong or I should have done something you know written it differently or had a different lead or whatever so yeah yeah, I I, I definitely don't yeah
0: I feel the same about I I do not
1: enjoy going back
0: it's a definitely a weird feeling you know so you said you always wanted to cover an NBA beat were you like were you a Knicks fan growing up you know talk about like you know your upbringing um of how involved? I'm I mean,
1: I, in the '90s. I was a Bulls fan, um, and then I kind of transitioned. Yeah, and then I kind of transitioned to being a, a Knicks fan, but I wasn't like a rabid one. And I was more so just always an NBA fan because um, I lo- I love basketball it was the first mm. sport that I really got into that I used to play. Um, so I was just the big NBA fan. You know, Jordan era NBA, the Kobe era NBA. You know, like Dirk, Steve Nash, Penny Hardaway. Mm -hmm. Um, all those guys and so I love basketball more than anything else more than any singular team Um, and then once you know once I started being a professional reporter in 2011 I kind of just like uh, dispensed with all my fandoms Mm -hmm. as hard as that was to do and now I just like the sport I just like watching basketball you know on a nightly basis I like watching good players and good teams and uh, really studying into it and looking into and how the league is changing and all that type of stuff but yeah i started out as like a bulls fan just like everyone else in the 90s because jordan was you know a demigod at that point as yeah. uh as the last dance is really trying to impart on us and um it just it
0: flourished from there you know what, what were, have you been watching the last dance at all yeah i have what's uh you what do you like about it you know i'm sure uh, it's so interesting for somebody like you yeah
1: it's It's really fun. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a good way to spend two hours every Sunday. You know, I have my criticisms of it, but like on the whole, it's still like, it's a, it's a good time. It's fun to just, uh, it's like the return of monoculture where everyone else is doing the same thing as you and, uh, reliving the nineties to some degree or reliving the Jordan dynasty. And, um, it's just interesting to watch. It's like a flashback to a, to a better time in a lot of ways.
0: Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. I mean, I wasn't around that time I was born in 99, but like You know, just hear you hear all these stories, and it's just like, oh my god, like this is actually like, this is crazy, you know, because you didn't think that, like, I never knew that Dennis Rodman, you know, you know, went to Vegas abruptly or anything like that. But you know, it's definitely cool to watch from a fan standpoint too. So, I heard, um, I heard that you know when you were at college, and I heard this in my interview with Kyle Franco, um, Mm. that you got to interview David Stern. Um, he told me that, you know, you just emailed him and he said, yeah, sure. Come to New York. So can you talk about that experience a little bit? You know, what motivated you to do that?
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, well, uh, Franco is obviously uh, a great reporter in his own right. And working with yeah. him was a lot of fun. Um, honestly, my, my whole ethos, uh, has been, especially when I was in college and just starting out was just like um, kind of just to shoot your shot. Uh, I, you know, I knew David Stern was a Rutgers grad and I thought, Hey, I write for the, t- the daily Targum, which is the Rutgers school paper. And why not try it? And I, I don't remember if I emailed him or like the, um, NBA PR person, I think it was the NBA PR person maybe. Yeah. Um, and I was just like, Hey, I write for the Targum, you know, uh, he's a grad. Would he be interested in it? I think it took like a few weeks and they responded and they're like, yeah, let's do it. And I, you know, I didn't know if I was going to get a yes or a no or whatever, but I figured what's the downside. And, um, <laughs> it just hit and that was cool. And I got to go to his office. I think it was, um, I think it's still the current NBA office. Mm. Um, and, uh, it was, you know, especially for a college student, it was, a, it was really interesting just to like, get into the, you know, the office of the NBA commissioner and sit down and do like a proper interview. And, you know, you go from like talking to Rutgers basketball players to the NBA commissioner at a big leap. Um, and so that was, that was pretty awesome.
0: What what's he like, you know, what was what was that interview like for you? Uh
1: I remember him as kind of being uh a little bit intimidating. Even then, even to a college student, you know, he tried to um dictate terms, you know, it was always on his terms. Yeah, we were talking about the women's basketball team at some point, and I think he like didn't remember someone's name and he like asked to go off the record for a moment, and then he went back on the record. So he's always kind of controlling the tempo and pace of the interview. Um, which is exactly what you, you hear about him now, right? Like he's always the guy who wants to be in control. That's just who he is. And that's kind of what I remember from that interview was just him, uh, um, being the guy in charge in his office. And, uh, just seemed like he was the same person he was with me as he would have been with, you know, David Aldridge or any big time NBA reporter at the time.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm sure that's, is that interview like, you know, among one of your favorites that you've done over the course of your career?
1: Yeah, I think so, just because it was really cool to do that then. I don't, I don't, I'm trying to remember now, like, big interviews that I've done, but I mean, getting the interview commissioner to get one on one when you're in college is, is pretty great.
0: Yeah, no, it's, I mean, if somebody of his stature, at, you know, in one of the biggest leagues on the planet, for that matter. Um, Kyle also told me that, you know, you, they called you right click synonym. Um you know, when you were in college. That I didn't know about. Oh, you didn't? No. No, he he said Kyle told me that um, you know, he thought you might have known about it because you know, you use all these like Kyle was talking smacking on my back, I guess. (laughs) He used like he said that because you used a lot of these big words in your stories. So is that something that like, you know, you try to you try to do in your stories? Maybe use some big words that you might have to like, you know find some synonyms for uh no
1: but I do try to like not use the same words all the time I I just think that when you're writing you You should try to make it you just try to make it interesting um and like it's good to play with language and you know to 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 try to take chances and you should be Like you don't you shouldn't have to dumb down your writing um just because you're writing about sports or anything like that. Um and but you shouldn't try to like make it specifically smart or look for big words just to throw them in just because. Um I always, you know, use whatever was that came to mind. Um uh be you know, and as just cause, you know, a lot of the reading that I do, especially at that time at this point, I don't get to read anymore that much, um, being on the road and then also uh, trying to be a competent parent, uh, you you lose time to read. Mm-hmm. But at that point, you know, like my college classes, I wasn't a journalism major. I didn't have, you know, a lot of communications classes. I like, um, you know, I tried to just use the language that I would normally use, but except I was just writing about sports. And I, I think, you know, the best way to write is to write in the voice that you're comfortable in. Um, and so that's just what i was comfortable writing and uh, apparently that didn't sit well with everyone else according to franco uh, he
0: he just thought it, he just thought it was funny and just a funny memory you know because he used a lot of these big words in your stories
1: yeah i i don't know i just think um i didn't even look at it as like big words and i just think it's good to like use different language use different words make expand your diction um i think readers get bored if they read the same thing every time right sure. so you kind of have to you know be cognizant of that and just like do do it differently than you than someone else normally would, right? Like if yeah. uh, if they're used to reading the same like you know hundred words presented in a different order, then you know use one hundred and fifty words instead and give them something different.
0: Yeah, definitely. So, what's some of the like the hardest things about you know being a beat reporter? You know because you're you know probably going to practices, going to games, you know a lot. You're traveling, I'm sure what's what's the hardest part about you know your job
1: um time management is really difficult um mm. just because you are on the road and you have to obviously uh, still do all the things you need to do at home and um you're at games and all that type of stuff so i find time management to be really important um you know like especially if you want to do this at like semi High level, you have to be able to juggle everything that you need to do and not really try to fall behind. Um, Obviously, you will often, but -hmm. as long as you're you're thinking about it and how to best use your time, when to call sources, when to write, when to just watch film or watch a game, when to take a break, um, when to read something else. It's important to do all that stuff too. So time management is very hard. And for me, like it's important to read and read other people and what other people are writing. And I don't mean necessarily on the beat, but I just mean like good writing somewhere else. Period. Because I think that's how you get better part of how you get better as a writer as well. Um, and so like, you know, it's, it's hard. It's, it's a hard job in the sense that you're always, you know, trying to keep on top of whatever the story of the day is, or you're trying to make calls um, to agents and executives and whoever else. And um, that's always been the biggest struggle for me was just managing my time and making sure I'm doing enough of everything I have to do. Um, and the demands of the season change so differently some days you know you're just trying to finish off a big feature other days there's news breaking you're just trying to stay on top of that and it's uh you really have to make sure that you're nimble
0: for somebody at your level you know you're covering you know a big professional league you know you're covering the knicks although they might not have the most success um how are you able to you know cultivate a list of sources that you know you can really trust and and go to not really trust well just go to when you no you have you to trust the them
1: i mean you have to trust them and they have to trust you i mean they have to trust you because they trust you as a person who's willing who they're willing to help out and uh, you know help run down information you have to trust them because you have to trust that they're giving you the truth right yeah. um and, and i think that the relationship works both ways in that regard and, and one of the things that I've, I've thought about was something that um Mark Craig told me when I was on the Mets beat, and he said, "You know, part of having good relationships with sources is just um, having them like you. (laughs) Um, You know, people help out the people they like, right? So, you know, um, sometimes it's as simple as that. Like, you know, most of the time, if you're talking to you know sources and just people, is just you're talking about." other sports, you're talking about your college, you're talking about, I don't know, family or whatever. Like you're not necessarily talking about basketball all the time. And so you get to know them as, as people, uh, more so than just, you know, NBA executive X or NBA agent X or whatever. Um, and you, and then along the line, somewhere there, you know, you ask for help on a story or something like that, and they're able to help you out. But I've always remembered that it's just like, you know, part of it is just being a likable person, uh, that they are happy to help out, because they don't need to, and you know, because they don't have to spend the time talking to you, but uh, they like you, and they they are.
0: Was it hard to just, I guess, build that up, build that source list up when you know you're first getting into this? And what did you really do to, I guess, build that source list up?
1: I um, it's still hard. You know, one, it's it's there's more. It's weird as although the like I guess. I don't know how to describe the, the, the legacy media or is contracting or the, I don't know, I don't know. Mainstream media is contracting, although I don't even know what mainstream is anymore. You know, there's more people than ever, like trying to break news in basketball and football and baseball, like all those sports. There's more people than ever reaching out. I feel like to executives and agents and all that. Um, And so there's more people than ever that you're competing with to, uh, get news and get stories and so and that agents and execs and all those people involved in the news chain are talking to. Um and so it's 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 hard. You've got a lot of competition um Definitely. to get responses from them. Um and uh, you know, that's you know, let alone the people that you're actually on the beat with. And so Um, that's you know, I don't know if I I don't, I definitely have not mastered it, but it's, it's definitely something that's difficult and that I think about every day is, you know, who should I reach out to today? Who, you know, when did I talk to this person last? Like, what can I talk to them about? Um, it's a very competitive industry, both on a micro scale, just on the beat that you cover. And also on the macro scale, when you think about everyone else, uh, who might be reaching out to the, that person that day.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. What's, I guess, what's like the most enjoyable part about being a beat writer for
1: you. Enjoyable. Um I like watching basketball. It's fun to just like go to a game and watch a game. Um it, it's fun to uh you know talk about the Knicks with people who are involved with um you know in the league. I like reporting a lot. Occasionally I like writing, but honestly it's just that. It's like, you know, sometimes it's really fun just to watch a good basketball game and sometimes it's fun to just be on the like uh cusp of reporting a story and just talking to a bunch of different people and searching out, uh, different leads on a story. Like that to me is fun. I like reporting. I like, I like that whole aspect of it. Um, so those to me are probably the two most fun things.
0: What is your, what's like your notebook look like, you know, on a, I guess week of a game, like how are you able to, I guess keep up on everything because there's so much going on at every second I'm sure.
1: I, man, I, I am a mess. Um, I'm not a great, <laughs> I'm not great at organizing things. I have like 50 Google docs pulled up at a, at any given point in time. And then I use my actual physical notebook, you know, to take notes during the uh, reporting or when I'm mm. talking to people in the locker room or on the sidelines of games. So it's, it's just a bunch of different jotted notes. And then I, uh, I find, uh, like almost order in clutter. And so that's kind of how I operate.
0: Yeah, no, I, definitely you know envision that with my own notebooks, sort of because you have all this information you don't know what to do with it but you're just getting it down the heck of it yeah Um, what so what is like I guess describe to me a typical day in you know your life um going to cover a game you know what's like the day-to-day for you
1: uh I mean if there's a game that day you know I'll probably get like a Start around eleven or so, and um just either if depends, you know, if I'm working on like a feature story, I'll either try to write a little bit or try to do some more reporting. If I'm not, you know, I'll try to text a few people, see if there's someone I can call, or start brainstorming for a different story. I'm mm. um, trying to do research on it online or you know Nexus or whatever, and then you know I try to get to games three hours before, so seven thirty tip at MSG means I'm trying to get there four thirty, four forty five, and then. Mm. Uh, I go straight to the court and see if I can find anyone there to, to talk to. And then I'm there until, you know, they kick us out at like seven o'clock, you know, you make a beeline for the locker room when that opens occasionally. Sometimes you go to the coach's press conference, if there's anything specific that you need to ask, but you know, from like four forty-five to, you know, like seven o'clock, I'm just trying to see if there's anyone there I can talk to and um, either to ask about something that might happen that night or something that's newsier just to catch up with people who come to the game and i already know and so um you know for like about two two and a half hours there you're just trying to be as social as you can basically
0: yeah yeah and then and then it's game time you know tip off what's what's your mindset you know are you you know writing during the game like at what Uh, it depends
1: i'm usually not I'm usually not writing that night's story during the game. You know, we don't have to write off of games all the time, luckily. And so right. I'm either, you know, watching the game, taking notes, um, maybe for something down the line, see if, if there's anything I can notice. Sometimes I'll be transcribing. Um, sometimes I'll be uh, working on a story if I do have something due the next day or near, nearby. Um, and so it just differs on what I'm doing. And so that's what I'm doing during the game. I try to watch as much as possible. Um, you know, occasionally if it's like late in the season, the Knicks are out of it, then the games uh, might take, you know, second priority to something else that I'm working on. And, mm-hmm. uh, after the game, you know, you just, you do the press conference, you do the, uh, the locker rooms and, um, usually I'm not writing that night. And so then I'll head home and, uh, maybe I'll transcribe first just to make sure I
0: get that out of the way. Cause that's the most tedious part of the yeah. job. And,
1: uh, yeah, for me, usually that's, that's how that goes,
0: you know, have you ever, have you ever like dealt with the writer's block because I mean, it's a long season without- oh, all the time. Yeah,
1: for sure. I, I mean, every time I write, you know, I spend most of my writing time and I'm not exaggerating just trying to think of what my lead is and where to go from there. I'm one of those writers yeah. who needs to get their lead in place. And then it kind of maybe flows a little more intuitively from there. Um, but if I don't have my lead in place, I can spend hours or push off a story for like a day until it gets there, you know, until I can think of something
0: is there a favorite type of story that, you know, you like to write because some some people are, you know, better at writing features. Others are game stories. So is there a particular story that like, you know, you like to write?
1: I mean, I love writing features. Like that's the best part of the job to me. Um, Mm -hmm. But writing a game story, it's not a, you know, it's not as if you're just writing about the game specifically, at least the way I look at it, you're always kind of looking for overarching themes, um, the big picture. And so that's, usually you know it's not like a feature per se but it is you're writing the same way you would write a feature you're trying to make it as um powerful as possible you're trying to make it as um interesting as possible and you're you know at least for me i'm probably not writing about like play-by-play or much Mm -hmm. of what went on in the game save for a few moments because you're you're kind of looking at everything that went into that night rather than the you know 48 minutes of game time
0: yeah definitely I doubt, you know, because you always have to like, you know, come up with different ideas, make a, you know, story about it, not just like grocery list everything.
1: Yeah. And uh, it's important not to just put play by play in there or something like that. Yeah. Or make it full of play by play rather.
0: No, I, I definitely understand that. It took, it took me a little bit too, you know, just really just, you know, get over that hump, I guess, you know, you know, especially like when you, when you're first starting out. Um, So what's something that not many people really know about you? Um, You know, people can look at, like, your bio on Twitter or whatever, um, but they don't really know you as a person. And that's really what I want to, you know, put out. And that's the reason why I started, like, the sport profile, to, you know, get to know some of these people who are covering our favorite teams. So what's something not many people really know about you?
1: I don't really know. Uh, That's a hard question to answer because I don't know what people know about me. I'm not really – I'm not, like, one of those people who uh, um – like shares everything about their life on Twitter. Uh that's mm-hmm. that's not my uh Twitter persona. Um and not that I'm like exceedingly private, but that's just not yeah. the way I, I use the app. Um <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what they what they don't don't know about me. I'm a Chelsea fan, I guess. Uh I like EPL soccer. I don't know. I try to tweet about right. that a little bit. Uh I'm a you know, I try to find somewhere good to eat when I'm on the road all the time. I think it's important to enjoy your road trips and uh try new things. So I don't does that count? Is that, yeah, does that fulfill know. this this question? Sure. sure.
0: <laughs> what's the what's like the best memory of like, you know, some place you've traveled to?
1: You know, um for trips it's always fun to get to like go to Miami, go to San Francisco. Um Chicago's a great city. I've been to Barcelona and um Italy and Germany on just like on personal vacation. I just love seeing new places mm-hmm. for that reason just because I think it's important to see new things and get out of your bubble and just, you know, um, be as worldly as you can be.
0: Definitely. Um, anyway, I think that's all I have for right now, but I really appreciate your time with this. You know, I hope you had as much fun with it as I did. Yeah. No, I'm really looking forward to, you know, writing your story. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. Everybody really, really appreciate all the support the sport profile has gotten and continues to get. I'm so excited to share so many more features for you guys. Thank you all again for continuing to listen. It means the world to me.